morning. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Well, good morning. How are we doing, church? I'm pretty good. This past week was my birthday. Ma- ma- Thank you, Steve. Aggie made me some monkey bread. It was good. I shared with a few of you. I didn't share with the rest of you. I want to start off this morning by briefly describing two scenarios. And as, as I describe these scenarios to you, I want you to imagine which one of these would it be easier to live a Christian life. In the first scenario, people are happy. This is a politically and culturally peaceful environment. And for the most part, everyone in this first scenario agrees with one another. Everyone has the freedom to make their own decisions, and there is no fear that people will look down on you or be offended by your beliefs. That's the first scenario. In the second scenario, well, people are on edge, especially all the believers. And in in comparison for the first, at least for believers, this is a politically unstable environment. And for the most part, these believers in the second scenario, they're fearful for their future. The people in power clearly don't care about morals, nor do they care about religious freedom. And there is a general fear about how others feel about you. And believers are worried that they might offend other people because of their faith. I don't want you to answer out loud But which of these two scenarios seems more conducive for faithful Christian living? My hope is that we would be able to say either one. My hope is that we would be so confident in our belief in Jesus that our political and cultural environment would have absolutely zero impact on our faith. I think the more important question that we need to consider is, would you be willing to live in the politically unstable environment if you knew that the church would never see broad cultural and political success in your lifetime? Would you be willing to live your entire life as a believer in this politically unstable place and never, ever see the type of sweeping cultural change that a lot of people want to see. Depending on how long you've been alive, or even what part of the country you live in, 
you've probably seen a lot of change. Change in our communities, change in our schools, in our, our laws, even, even in the makeup of our families. And for a lot of people, myself included, when change happens, there's often a fear ab- about the future. You know, what, what are we going to do if? Uh, is, is this something that we need to worry about? How is this going to affect our, our family? How is this going to affect my kids? How is this going to affect my kids' kids? And you know, there's a word that's been thrown around a lot in the past uh, couple years. It's the word unprecedented. It was first used to describe the state of the world in 2020, but I've started to hear it thrown around a lot more for a lot of different things. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of things being unprecedented. Because the truth is, God has been here before. What I hope to remind us, what I hope to remind myself over this next month as we work through this series is that the things that are going on in our world today are anything but unprecedented. Because God's been here before. He's worked in situations like these before. He's working in our, our world currently. So when we're faced with uncertainty, when we're faced with unprecedented times, when our culture seems to be pushing against our Christian beliefs, we need to avoid the temptation to see our world as unprecedented. When culture and Christianity come into conflict, and we're going to look at this over the next few weeks, I I think there are three common responses. The first response is we want to push back. When culture starts encroaching on church territory, we, we might feel the need to end our turf, so to speak. You know, it insult those and, you know, have, have the right slogan, you know, to say back to them so we win that argument. We might even put down our Christian brothers and sisters if they aren't willing to push back in the same manner that we are. The second common response, I think, is if we're not willing to push back, well, then we're willing to assimilate. We're, we're, we are willing to conform. You know, the times have changed. It's time that our church changes to catch up with our world. You might have heard that before. You might have said that before. We don't want to be accused of being closed-minded, right? Well, you might also think, you know, I'm just going to stay out of all, of all that stuff. I don't want to get caught up in what other people are doing. I don't want to be a part of that. Well, that too is a response to culture. It's withdrawing. It's retreating. Instead of assimilating and instead of pushing back, you're choosing to take a step back and remove yourself. In this series, I hope to offer an alternative to some of these common responses to the conflict of Christianity and culture, we're going to be pursuing a biblical approach. What does the Bible say about what does the Bible say that we're supposed to do when the world comes into conflict with God's word? And this is what Jesus did when he was alive, and it's what his apostles and the church does in the centuries that follow. To help us do this, we're going to look at two examples in the Old Testament, uh, two people in the Bible 
who responded to culture and who responded to politics. What they did right, what they did wrong, and what the world, how the world changed because of what they did. The first person who we're going to look at this week, and again at the end of the month, might not be as familiar to many of us. He's the king of Jerusalem, Manasseh. Spoiler, Manasseh is our example of what not to do. But I think there are many Christians, and I can do this as well, who inadvertently try to follow the Manasseh model in our world today. The second person who we're going to look at is, is, is a little bit more well-known. His name is Daniel. Daniel's our example of what we are to do, but I think we might be surprised at the outcome of Daniel's actions. I think we might be surprised at the lack of outcome of Daniel's actions. You see, Daniel lives during a time of political turmoil and uncertainty for God's people, and even though he demonstrated great faithfulness, his life might not have had the type of success that many people maybe think it should. I think there's a misunderstanding that the only way to live a faithful Christian life is to be in a world where politics and culture align with your worldview. Sure, it might be easier to be a believer in a place where your faith is embraced, but our ability to have a faith in Jesus is not contingent on the culture. What I want to highlight for us all is that the state of our culture is not an indication of our faithfulness or lack thereof. Thinking that maybe if we're more faithful, maybe if we read the Bible more, maybe if we know what to say, then everything would go back to normal. That's not the case. As we'll see from our example this morning, success in the political world and peace and prosperity, even in God's kingdom in Israel, does not equal faithfulness to God. And those earthly achievements often come at the expense of faith. Instead of trying to push back, instead of trying to assimilate, or even trying to retreat, God's people need to be like Daniel and try to rise above the culture to something different. We talked about this in, in the adult class this morning, having our eyes on the, on the end goal. Living faithfully doesn't always spark cultural and political change. But that's okay. Because faithfulness to God is far more important than success in this world. Faithful, faithfulness to God is far more important than political success. And it might be tempting for us to try to figure out how to win the culture war. I hear that thrown around a lot. But the reality is, no matter what happens out there, God's people can still be faithful. I want you to join me this morning in 2 Chronicles as we meet Anasa, one of the greatest kings of all time. Because the circumstances in our world are anything but unprecedented. God's been here before, and he's still here now. If you're unfamiliar, let me introduce you to Anasa, the great king of Israel. Don't feel bad if you have not heard much about him. Truthfully, in the grand scheme of things, 
He's but a footnote in a long line of kings of Israel and Judah. He shouldn't be confused with one of the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, even though they share the same name. No, this Manasseh was, uh, uh, he is a, a king figure towards the end of Kings and Chronicles, but his legacy doesn't stop there. His poor leadership of God's people is referenced a number of times throughout the prophets as the reason for the continued heartache, exile, and punishment for the Israelites. And the mistakes made during Manasseh's time as king have a devastating effect for generations. But, by all earthly measures, Manasseh was a great king. One can even make the argument that he was the greatest king in all of Israel. But at what cost? What did Manasseh give up in order to achieve such great political and social success? Join me this morning in Second Chronicles 33 to find out. Starting in verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil. And the sign of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Like many other kings, Manasseh is young when he inherits the throne from his father Hezekiah. His significant achievements, we just read them right here, are listed in this introduction. He reigned for 55 years, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't sound like a great king. We'll get a glimpse of the evil that he was doing later this morning, but I want to spend a moment on the length of his reign and the political landscape in, uh, uh, during that time. If you spent any time at all reading through Kings and Chronicles, it's not a great read, but you know the thrones of Israel and Judah are just a revolving door, essentially alternating between the good kings and the bad kings, the good kings and the bad kings. And so far, we know about Manasseh that he is a bad king. There we go. Um, but what was he really doing that was that bad? The kingdom uh, that Manasseh inherited was from his father Hezekiah, who was very prosperous. Hezekiah, for the most part, Manasseh's father, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. During an invasion of by the Assyrians, Hezekiah appeals to the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, and with the might of the Lord, they stand victorious. And because of this, Israel experiences an immense amount of increase in their financial ability, and they achieve great success in the political world as well. This is what we read about Hezekiah just a chapter before in chapter 32. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. He made for himself treasures for gold, for silver, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This is a very prosperous place because of faithfulness to God. Enter Hezekiah's son, Manasseh. Israel at this time, for all intents and purposes, is a successful, flourishing kingdom. And what does Manasseh do during his time as king? He conforms in order to make it better. 
Remember what we read just a moment ago in verse 2. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out out before the people of Israel. What Manasseh was trying to do is he was trying to go with the flow, to assimilate to the surrounding cultures. He leads God's people to their eventual downfall as a nation, eventually resulting in a period of exile where next week we'll find Daniel. And even though you and I aren't kings, of Israel at least, maybe, maybe someday, there is something very important that we need to keep in mind. Our actions have a real impact on the people around us and the people who come after us. Our actions have real influence on the people in your life. Anasa's actions weren't just leading himself away from God. He was leading an entire nation for centuries away from the word of God. In verse 9, uh, it reads, Manasseh led Judah and the, in, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. So what was Manasseh doing while he was king? We get just a glimpse of it starting in verse 3. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. This sounds really bad, but what Manasseh was doing was he was carrying out political maneuvers. He's turning to the cultures around Israel and saw opportunities to make alliances, saw opportunities to approve of what other people were doing, to be more accepting of their beliefs in order to solidify his fortunes as king. And think about everything that his father left him when he left he left the throne, Manasseh makes choices to make sure that he wouldn't be a target. With all this new success and this new wealth, these grains and the silver and gold, he can't be a target to the outsiders. After all, the best way to ensure that no one comes to attack you is to become as much like your enemies as possible so that your enemies are now your allies. We see Solomon and even King David make similar mistakes by taking on additional wives as a political measure. But here's what Manasseh does. First, he builds altars around, around the land uh, to Baal and Asherah, likely to allow their enemies to feel welcome in God's kingdom. He wouldn't want these outsiders to feel unwelcome, Right? The second thing he does is he makes changes to God's temple, again, to make it more accommodating to outsiders. Manasseh is making sure that no matter how people engage with spirituality, their beliefs and their gods are welcome in God's house. And and the third thing he does is he sacrifices his own family, his own kids, to align with what other cultures are doing. Can you imagine someone conforming to the culture like that? Chronicles summarizes 55 years, which is the longest of of any king in Israel, 
summarizes 55 years as king in just a few sentences. And I want us to consider for just a moment what that might have looked like. Over the course of 50 years, Israel goes from a nation that is doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord under Hezekiah to a nation that begins to accept and embrace foreign gods and foreign cultures to a nation that downright ignores and is ignorant to God's word altogether over 55 years. And what began as political maneuvers, successful political maneuvers, I might add, it worked because he was king for 55 years, turns into a complete reversal of everything that God has done for his people. Even though Manasseh was a bad king by biblical standards, by earthly standards, he's one of the greatest kings of all time. Because he achieved a season of peacefulness and prosperity, the likes to which this point had never, ever been seen before in the land of Canaan. He brought together people from all nations and all beliefs to exist in a welcoming and accepting culture, one devoid of religious expectation or motivation. That doesn't sound familiar at all. He did all of that, all of those great political and cultural excesses, but it all came at the expense of God's word. What's more important to us? Wide-scale political, cultural success or individual faithful living? I want to pause right here in Manasseh's story in Second Chronicles. It's, it's not over. We'll, we'll come back to him in a few weeks. With the time that we have left this morning, I want us to consider our own responses to culture. Are we people who like to push back? Now, don't get me wrong, there's a level of resistance that's necessary. We talked a great deal this past month about our responsibility to be the bearers of bad news to people who are lost in sin. But there's a big difference between standing up for the truth and instigating hostility. Or are we people who like to go with the flow? There's a major push right now in our country for people to be more accommodating and more accepting of other people. We need to look no further than Manasseh's example to see how slippery of a slope that that can be. What began as savvy cultural political maneuvers turns into sacrificing his child's future because he wants to live in evil and sin. Or are we people who like to stay out of it? Or if, if you're someone who likes to stay out of the mess, who doesn't like to stand out from the crowd, then I really invite you to go back and listen to our sermon series last month because there were people in Israel who knew it was right and they said nothing and they did nothing. And the outcome was generations of ignorance to God's word. When we began this morning, I presented you with two scenarios. And in the series over the next month, we'll keep looking at people who lived in these exact situations. Manasseh is the season of peacefulness and prosperity. The truth is, in both of these scenarios, in the politically stable and the politically unstable, there are going to be people who live faithful lives, and there are going to be people who live faithless lives. What matters not, what matters is not the state of our world, 
but the faithfulness of our hearts. Our goal as Christians, regardless of the circumstances, is to be faithful, to make daily decisions, to choose God in every facet of our lives, to appropriately respond to the gift of the cross. Anasa, who was widely successful in bringing peace and prosperity, also virtually erased every presence of God from the kingdom. What I want us to focus on the next few weeks is instead of focusing on how we're affecting what's going on out there, we should be focusing on what's going on in here and what's going on in here. It might sound a lot like retreating, like withdrawing from the culture, but it's what Daniel does when he's in exile. It's what Daniel does at a time when believers in God were the minority. Daniel didn't push back. Daniel certainly didn't assimilate, but he rose above what was going on in the culture around him. If our faith is like the revolving or of the kings of Israel and Judah. One season we're doing what is right, and the next season we're doing what is wrong. Then maybe we need to reevaluate where our treasure is. Are we willing to embody faithfulness, to prioritize God's word in our lives, no matter what the culture looks like? And no matter if it has any effect on our culture at all. If you've been with us since the beginning of the year, you know that we're slowly moving through the book of Acts, trying to understand more about what it looks like for us to be a witness, for us to have witnessed the truth. Sometimes it means we're leading new people to Christ. Sometimes it means that we're the bearers of bad news. And sometimes... It means that even though we have faith, absolutely nothing changes in our world at all. And that's hard to hear. But that's okay. Because faithfulness to God is more important than success in this world. We'll return to Acts in a few weeks to continue reimagining our role as a witness. But before we do, I hope we can confidently say that no matter what happens in this world, out there, if it's good or if it's bad, our faith in God will remain strong because we have each other, ultimately because we have the Holy Spirit, empowering us to have joy and be patient, to demonstrate self-control and faithfulness, empowering us to rise above the world around us. If you're not a Christian this morning, then you need to know that the sin in your life is the same sin that's hurting our world. The only way to remove it, to repay it, is by turning to the cross, is by turning to Jesus. If you are a Christian, but your life has been tossed to and fro like the revolving door, the waves in the sea, and your faith has taken a back seat in your life by trying to succeed in this life, we'd love to pray with you or, or, or pray for you. If you have any need, whether it's in person or on Facebook, we hope that you make it known. Our real, our only real hope in this world is God. He's been here before, and he's in control. Anasa was certainly a great king. He fixed a lot of cultural and political problems, but he did all of it at the expense of God's word. My prayer is that 
regardless of what happens out there, regardless of if, if it's going well, if it's politically stable, or if it's unwell, that you and I can come to know Jesus and cherish the power of God's word in our lives. If you have an, any need at all this morning, make it known as we stand and as we sing.